Time for security now. Yes, there's another update from Microsoft. There's problems on the net. Now, there's no need to fear. Steve Gibson is here protecting your security for eight solid years. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 417, recorded August 14th, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 173. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite.com. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files so you don't have to. Automatically, continually, only $59.99 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com. You don't need a credit card. Just use the offer code SECURITY NOW and you'll get two bonus months with purchase. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight, for 20% off your new account. Go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN20. And by Lookout, a mobile security company trusted by over 40 million customers. Lookout specializes in stopping new cyber threats, finding lost or stolen phones, and backing up data. Protect your Android or iOS device now by visiting Lookout.com slash security now for the free download. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security, your privacy, your deep, most darkest fears and needs. And <laughs> here he is, Mr. Fears and Needs himself, Steve uh, Tiberius Gibson. Hello, Mr. You weren't sure what you had to be worried about. At we'll the beginning, you'll have all the details by the end. We'll find something for you to worry about before this show is over. Yeah. I worry about that. <laughs> Actually, that's what I worry about. I don't want to make this show be something that people go, oh, what new, what fresh hell is this? No, I actually think we do a good job, and I hear from listeners who confirm their feelings that we do a good job of keeping this balanced. We're not the Hysteria no. Now show. No. I mean, I'm often very skeptical about some of these early things. Like, you know, I was the last one to agree that, okay, maybe Stuxnet really did come from, you know, the government. And I was like, ah, I don't know. Let's just wait. You know, we're still grasping. We're still guessing, blah, blah, blah. And then as it finally began to come out, it was like, well, it does really seem like a little joint effort between the U.S. and uh, Israel. So maybe. Uh, but so, yeah, I think, I mean... Our anchor is technology. And yes. so, yes, we will talk about the consequences of the technology, but that's not what this show is about. No. It's about technology. And so, and Leo and so revealing I think his credit card numbers. That's our focus. <laughs> You know I did that. And speaking, I know last yeah. Well, let's let's remind everyone again, Leo, so they can go back and. Well, no, I I already canceled the uh, oh, the okay. card. In fact, okay. I should have a new one by now, shouldn't I? It's a great number to use now because it's <laughs> invalid, and it's not all fives or something really lame like that. Oh, you mean like when I have to give a credit card on the air? Yeah, yeah. From now right. on, I'll use that. In fact, show it and look, and everyone's gonna go. Ugh! You know. But, you know, it's safe. Now. It's safe. I hope. I hope the cancellation order was well propagated through Yikes. the entire system. Yikes. I hope so, too. Um, 
this is a special podcast. Well, it's always we been a special podcast. Well, this is a particular one. How's that? Okay. Uh, Sharp-eyed Elaine noted a couple weeks ago that August 18th of 2005 was the date of podcast number one. Holy cow. That long ago. Here we are, 14, on, on the 14th of August. So between this podcast and the next podcast, Jeez. we celebrate an anniversary, meaning cool. this is the final pa- podcast. I can't even pronounce it anymore. Podcast. The final <laughs> podcast. Well, it's just, of our, has, has, did of you get the memo that it, we don't call it podcast? That, that went out in 2006, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> no, no. Call it a podcast. Year eight. Wow. Of year eight. Now. So next week starts our ninth year. Yeah. When we started this show, Steve had hair and mine didn't was even brown. Have a ball. We didn't even have a wall. You didn't even have a ball to bounce on. Oh, a ball, no. I barely no. had a microphone. <laughs> you were upstairs crouched over where the, where, where the uh, attic was. That's like, right. I had to sit like this with my head tilted all the whole time because the roof was coming down on me. And you sort of crowd people into your little den and say, okay, talk now. You know what's uh, gratifying? Sometimes shows, uh, uh, superannuated shows like this, (laughs) uh, start to wear out. This show has not worn, far from worn out. It has grown consistently. I'm an expert on that phenomenon because I, for example, Dexter, I'm dragging myself through this final season. It's just, it's dead. It, it's so, it's uninteresting. Right. It's just like, And that's oh, what, season six, on. seven? It's not even that far along. No. And, but I mean, many, well, and Galactica, wow, kick-ass couple first years. Then they just kind of went, I mean, they were literally adrift. Um, with with the writing, because you know it, some you know there's very much often an arc, and yes. and you you see this where the show takes off, it's successful, now it's collected a huge audience and a huge advertising base. They can't stop; they just they're unable to. One of the things where I, that I've appreciated somehow for some reason, Star Trek always stops. By before it becomes really bad. Well, that's even the, tradition. the next generation it got canceled in the before it was even born, practically. Yeah, but but yeah. next generation, seven seasons. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it's like, wait, I I mean, and we don't have anything like that now. There's like nothing like a really good sci-fi series no. on. We got a bunch of low-budget, you know, walking around in the weeds shows. When every so often something flies overhead, it's like oh, okay. Well, That's I'm happy really to say this this show, uh, far from it, has grown in audience. It grows very consistently. In fact, the last two years have been the most growth, I guess, because of interest in what's going on in security, but also because of your excellent reporting on uh, things like uh, PRISM, where people really are hearing the this, this straight story and sometimes the story no one else is saying. In fact, one of one of our uh, – I, I can't remember how he described himself – anonymous and hiding from the government or something – uh, in in our mailbag that I ran across this morning was someone saying, you know, how could you be so right about this yeah. stuff? And again, it's not that I'm prescient. It's that it comes from technology. It was always clear we should not put unencrypted data in the cloud. And so that's where TNO came from yeah. and PIE. I mean, these are just, it's come it's from the technology and that's what we allow to, I mean, you know, that's our our 
our main driver. Well, just so. to show you the the show state of surveillance that you did, you know, where you talked about what Prism must be, and by the way, in time have proven uh, very accurate. Um, is our is the most downloaded show of Security Now? I think with well over a hundred thousand downloads. Wow. Uh, and I don't. That's not including your downloads or YouTube or any of the other sources. So that's, wow. uh, that's so just from you guys. Just from just from Twit. Wow. So that's pretty good. Congratulations. <laughs> and I have a feeling we're on a roll. Uh, year nine is going to be even more interesting. Well, I think we've got the right mix. I have had some complaints who from people who say, "Oh, it just turned into a gossip podcast." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute." You know, I mean, I think it's it's far from that. I I think that that maybe we were a little too techie and not enough conversation. And so in the last couple of years, we have, I think, evolved this into a little more discussion. And I think, you know, when I look at the at the listenership that your main Twit podcast has and and what technical details it brings. No, it's more <clears throat> of a gab fest, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think people want entertainment, Leo. Yeah. I mean, yes, technology. That'll never, because that's who we I am. Have both. That's, well, that's, we got to have both. That, that's what interests me. It's informed uh, entertainment. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. And in your yeah. case, uh, really, uh, you are easily, this is easily the geekiest show we do. And, and should oh, be. And baby, get ready, because we're about to dive into email encryption, and the, the rare, there's a reason no one's using it. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle that in the next in the coming weeks. Good, and good. but a Q and A this week, yes, yes, yes Q and A this week. So here we are on the fourteenth, second Tuesday of the month, Patch Tuesday. No huge news, but as always, it's get your machines updated. It's probably more important now than ever because the bad guys are getting smarter about reverse engineering what's happened. Uh, Brian Krebs did some nice reporting about this month's patches so i'm just ra rather than duplicating his research i'm going to share the, the the top of his blog posting from a day ago he said microsoft has issued security updates to fix at least 23 distinct vulnerabilities in its windows operating systems and other software three of the patch bundles released today so yeah he did this he did blog yesterday address flaws rated critical meaning that malware or miscreants can use them to break into Windows PCs without any help from users. Leading the critical updates is a cumulative patch for Internet Explorer that affects every version of the browser on nearly all supported versions of Windows. So all, all versions of IE. In its advisory, Microsoft warns it is highly likely that attackers will soon develop exploit code to attack the flaws addressed in the patch. So even Microsoft gets it now that, that when they patch something, it's possible to figure out what they changed and then look at the unpatched versions and go, oh, we know how to leverage that. So unfortunately, that's, that's a cat and mouse game. There's nothing we can do to fix. Indeed, according to Ross Barrett, Continuing to, to quote Brian, manager of security engineering at Rapid7, the IE patch addresses a vulnerability first demonstrated at the Pwn to Own contest at the CanStec West conference in March of this year. So this was this was was responsibly disclosed. Pwn the the, the, the guys who came up with this got a Pwn to Own award. 
Microsoft then here, that was March. Here we are in July or August. So it's like, okay, well, you know, they weren't in a big hurry to fix this, but they have. Um, now it's possible to reverse engineer it from, from, from Microsoft's fix. So important to do. Second most important critical update is, is the so-called browse and get owned font vulnerability. And we've talked about that already. This affects users on XP and Server 2003. And this is, we, you know, we were discussing this in, just in the last couple of weeks, Leo, where the fact that, that, that the rendering engine isn't bulletproof, you can even have something as passive as a font file, which your browser will dutifully load in order to, dis- to, to to properly render the font that your web page asks for, that can take over your machine with you not having to deliberately do anything. And final, and, and the, then the final of the three, tackles several flaws in Microsoft Exchange that stem from a third-party component from Oracle called Outside In. So Microsoft's fixing those three critical ones. Um, and then the important ones are... Your typical local privilege elevation where somebody at the machine who did not, for example, have administrative rights could elevate themselves to do so. And that's not good because you could could have like locally installed software that is malicious and the naive user doesn't realize that's happening. So as always, update Windows. You know, when I fired up my... (laughs) My Win 7 machine in order to run Skype to do the podcast, I got, oh, you have updates. It's like, yes, that's correct. Okay, so the big news of the week. And, Leo, I don't know why these are always happening on Thursday. And I'm can, t- can I interrupt before you do the big news of the week? Because that's a nice tease. Oh, yes. Because I did want to do – we have three commercials today. Oh, yeah, which yes, is a good, of course. Another sign, by the way, of, of, of success. success. <laughs> and I apologize. Uh, although, if you listen to uh, commercial broadcasting in any form in any country, you know that three commercials in a two-hour show is not exactly a burden. But I understand people. Uh, don't Nobody likes commercials, but thanks to the commercials, we can pay Steve. We can have this lovely studio. We can have downloads. <laughs> we can have nice things. And you have new toys. And always. Yeah. Hey, it's not about me. You got to know what's going on, Leo. You got to know what's going on. Thanks to these fine advertisers, we uh, we employ twenty five people and nearly a hundred contractors all over the world, and uh, I think that's a good contribution back. Trickle down, folks. Uh, I will trickle down <laughs> all the money I get if you have not set up your backup strategy. I want to tell you about Carbonite. Now, some of you, I know this is a te- show for techies, and we've talked before about other systems for cloud backup. Uh, I don't need to tell you the cloud backup, or at least off-site backup, is critical. Uh, I think it's pretty apparent to anybody it needs to be automatic or you will not remember it. It should be continuous, so you get versioning. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you upload a new picture and your computer crashes before the next backup, you've lost it. Uh, so a good backup strategy, automatic, continuous, off-site backup. We agree on that. Now, for some of you, you perhaps have, and I get email from people who have quite elaborate strategies, and that's fine. But if you want the simplest, most convenient, and in most cases, the most economical way to do it, I think, I think you should take a look at Carbonite. Carbonite.com, Mac or PC. They have, uh, by the way, not just individual packages, $59.99 a year. For everything on a single computer, Mac or PC, that's that's less than five bucks a month. Uh, but they also have packages for small businesses. They're always a flat yearly rate, 
Uh, they don't meter how much storage you have, although you're I should say this, you should consider uh, that since you're uploading this, what your upstream bandwidth is, the amount of data, people sometimes say to me, I have four terabytes worth of data and it's still backing up a year late. Well, yeah, because Carbonite cannot change the laws of physics and they can only go as fast as your internet. And frankly, they don't want to tie up your internet. It's one of the nice things about Carbonite. You won't know it's operating. It operates uh, nicely to use a uh, Unix term. It doesn't uh, t doesn't occupy the CPU when you're using it. It doesn't use up your bandwidth. It just it just kind of gets the job done and that's why I like it. I want you to try it. You could, you know, not have to take my word for it. 2 weeks free if you visit carbonite.com. Please use our offer code security now, one word. That way uh, Steve gets credit, we get credit. Uh security now, carbonite.com. If you do that, uh, you'll get 2 free months with purchase. Another bonus. And cloud storage too, by the way. Now uh, one thing for the Security Now audience I always say is they do support trust-no-one encryption. Only you have the key. They don't have the key. If you do that, and many of you do are looking for that kind of solution, and, and Security Now is one of the few trust-no-one cloud uh, backup and storage solutions, uh, if you do do that, some of the features are uh, going to be disabled, as they have to be for technical reasons. Things like cloud storage, you know, using... Actually, you could log onto your Carbonite account in any computer. And get the data. I don't know how the smart... I think the smartphone apps stop working, the tablet apps. If you don't use the TNO, you can even use a smartphone. Access your data, download it to any device, anytime. You can even email a file if you wish. Carbonite.com, the offer code, security now. All I'm saying, try it free. You don't even need to use a credit card. See if you like it. Back to Steve Gibson and the big story. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we seem to always have these news breaks on Thursday, the day after the podcast has been recorded. So we're reporting things which are, well, technically as stale as they could be. I guess if they happened Wednesday afternoon, that would be worse. But anyway, this still is the big story because it directly impinges on the, on topics we've covered in the last couple of weeks. And, and we've already been discussing the companies that, that, this happened to. And the repercussions throughout the industry were amazing. Um, we were discussing just last week the company LavaBit because I brought it up in the context of the rumors and I never actually saw confirmation. Now I have actually heard the guy himself, uh, Ladar Levinson, say that he did have an email account with the name Edward Snowden on it. So the the owner of the X, as in no longer LavaBit service, um, did confirm that there was such an account. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, last week, uh, Ladar Levison, who is the founder and has been running LavaBit for 10 years, shut it down without warning, just blanked it out. And uh, when this happened, I actually, I realized this was too big for a tweet. So I created a blog entry on steve.grc.com. It's the first blog I've done in a long time because I thought this was really significant. So if anyone hasn't seen my blog, it was quite well retweeted and blogged. And I think there were 69 comments following it. And a lot of people thought this was significant. Um, what's, what's significant is his reason for doing so. 
he he right now if you go to lavabit.com and I would urge our listeners to there's nothing but a page that says I'm sorry I've shut the service down because due to and, and he's extremely encumbered by unfortunately the, our government the US government um I yeah, think even his, uh, democracy uh, now uh, interview, interview. He had his lawyer sitting there. Yes, to make and sure there was he didn't a lot of anything. And there was a lot of interchange where mm-hmm. he'd they, he'd kind of come to something and he'd say he'd look at it and say, "Can I say that?" And his his attorney would say, uh, "No, you, you can't. Let's go in a different direction." <sighs> so depressing. So, so Ladar shut his service down because he said to do otherwise would make him complicit in crimes against the U.S. citizens, and he refused to do that. He said, unfortunately, I can't tell you anything more than that. I can't, I can't even, I am forbidden wow. to, to ex- tell you what it was that I said no to. He can't even say that. Mm. And, I mean, it, it is, so yesterday um, when I saw the Democracy Now! interview, I, I tweeted uh, feel like being depressed? You know, watch this 15-minute interview, and that ought to do it to you. And I got a lot of feedback from people saying, oh, my Lord. Anyway, it's a great interview. I would really commend our listeners. I didn't want It's 15 minutes. I don't want to fill a podcast with it. And everyone who's interested can find it. And But it's worth watching if this topic interests you. It is really pathetic what what has been done and um uh, well so the next day silent circle announced that they were also preemptively and actually they announced they had canceled their silent mail service now we talked about silent circle this is phil zimmerman of pg we did but more than that leo they have Navy SEALs. Oh, yeah, that's the one. These. <laughs> and they're still scared. Although they were quick to say, uh, we haven't received a government subpoena yet. Well, and, and their concern was, see, okay, so first of all, every, understand that both of these companies ran not really secure mail. Right. And that's that's the crux of the problem. In fact, that's what my blog posting made clear. That's the point I had made the week before. Right. When we heard that Ed Snowden was using them, I thought, and that they were, oh, secure mail. Yeah. I thought, okay, yeah. what are they doing? I went over, and as I reported on the podcast the week before, I was unimpressed. They They were doing mail at rest, you know, they were doing, sorry, encryption at rest uh, storage so that the email that they received unencrypted was then encrypted with the account's public key and they only had access to the private key when the account holder logged in. But the fact was when the account holder logged in, then they would use the password to decrypt the private key, which would allow them to decrypt the, their, their mailbox, essentially, and then send it to them 
either secure or not, probably secure. We, one would hope that the links to their server would be secure if they were promoting security. But the point was this was this was not actually secure mail. This was encrypted in, encrypted storage. But the nature of current email technology, and, and again, the point I made in my podcast was email is resistant to encryption. We're going to be talking about overcoming that resistance in coming weeks here, as soon as, I mean, like with starting with next week, when we talk about PGP and SMIME and, and GNU PG and so forth, technologies for encrypting email. But it is not easy. It is Email resists it, which really is why it hasn't happened. You know, I mean, HTTP, web browsing, that's all encrypted now. I mean, largely, that, that's the problem's been solved. Not so for email, and we'll go into why. But neither of these services were truly secure. My, I mean, and so, unfortunately, I think Ladar painted a bullseye on himself oh, for the great. NSA. Although he'd already been, I mean, it was subpoenaed or something. We, he could say what, but he'd received, I would guess, About national- 10. Oh, about, well, well, he, he said had, 10. And well, it, were he, they NSLs? Through, Did he say what they through, were? Through the years, he has responded ah. to regular standard court orders. And and because he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to obey the law. Yeah. And if I'm given a court order for this data, I'm going to turn it over. Oh. Now, So something different said, happened then? Yes, yes, yes. This, uh. was, this was probably overly broad or... Or maybe they wanted to install, like, you know, see, his technology didn't allow him to decrypt what was there. Right. They may have come looking. Oh, and by the way, this is about two weeks. Wait, so two weeks or four weeks. This has been going on for some time. So this may very well have been related specifically to, to Snowden and right. that, where, right. where someone said, we want, you know, this data. And so whatever it was, he was made to feel... Un- uncomfortable at a level where previous court orders have never been a problem for him, but this caused him to say, "I give up. I'm. I can't. I cannot be complicit." Do you in, want to speculate? In, uh, I, I really can't. It would be rank speculation, but uh, yeah, I can't. I well, mean, for we instance, just okay. Have... So what we know is that you, the Fed, it wasn't real security because the Feds could just watch incoming and outgoing, and it would be un- unencrypted. Correct, and even. Yeah. Yes. Well, and e- even there's one other little glitch here, and that is they could have said when someone logs in, we want their decryption key, because when they log in, you uh, get their decryption uh, key. You do. Is so that true? That might, yes. That, and that's the problem. Well, they'd have to now, because otherwise he couldn't send the, the mail. Right. Right. Okay. And so there. So this was the weakness, and this is why I said it wasn't. I think in the, at the top of my blog posting, I said something like I put you know nearly secure or something. In yeah, quotes. And you told me that. I it, told you last week. Oh, I bought uh, ten years worth of lava bit, and you said, well, yeah, <laughs> nice. But hey, okay. I also use I also use uh, GNU privacy tool as we're going to talk about at some so point. So here's here was head. the problem. Both of these both of these organizations, email is store and forward. Which means in and both of these, both LavaBit and Silent Circle, had hundreds of thousands of customers. I mean, they were ongoing, successful operations. And but the fact that it's store and forward means that it, mail is coming in and being stored encrypted. Then 
when you connect up using POP or IMAP, your client is able to get this, you know, decrypt the mail for it to be sent to you. The fact that both companies preemptively shut down, what that did was that meant they were in receipt of email that had not been picked up. And all they could do was say, we're sorry. And the silent circle people, you know, they put their they Navy SEALs on either side of the door. And they said, uh, look, here's the problem. If we were to announce that we are going to sh- be shutting down, that window of opportunity would allow the federal government to come in and get our stuff. Right. They destroyed their servers right. at Silent Circle. Right. Right. And and so their customers have been inconvenienced and are complaining. It's like, wait a minute. There was email that I had not picked up. And they said, we know. Sorry. That's the point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because you if and we had the given... NSA hadn't picked it up yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, now... I thought about this, I cogitated and ruminated for a while, and I tweeted something that I has been more retweeted than anything I have tweeted for a long time. What I tweeted, and this might have been over the weekend, I said, we can no, so- we can no longer safely delegate our security because our delegates may be compelled to secretly violate our trust, which I think very succinctly states the problem. We can no longer safely delegate our security because our delegates may be compelled to secretly violate our trust. I mean, this is the problem with this whole situation we find ourselves in. Um, And this is what everybody, I mean, the commercial companies are very upset. You know, I mean, Google is feeling this. Microsoft and Yahoo and these companies named in the PRISM uh, slides are are you know feeling really put upon and you know we discussed this last week because there was um, some commentary I don't remember who it was it might have been micro was it Microsoft where they were explaining how you know they're begging the federal government to let them say something and the federal government says no now Bruce Schneier our favorite cryptographer and smart guy. Uh, weighed in on this with uh, he covered in his blog the news of Lava Bits decision, and and had a nice little summary. He said, "This illustrates the difference between a business owned by a person and a public corporation owned by shareholders." Ladar Levinson can decide to shutter Lava Bit a move that will personally cost him money because he believes it's the right thing to do. I applaud that decision, says Bruce, but it's one he's only able to make because he doesn't have to answer to public shareholders. Could you imagine what would happen if Mark Zuckerberg or Larry Page decided to shut down Facebook or Google rather than answer national security letters? They couldn't. They can't. They they would be fired. Yeah. He said, when small companies can no longer operate, it's another step in the consolidation of the surveillance society. Mm. 
So, oh, and I want, I want to make sure I don't fail to mention that Silent Circle itself is still an ongoing enterprise. They have they have silent talk and silent chat. It's only silent mail that they shuttered and they, that they shut down. LavaBit's gone completely because all they offered was not really secure email. Silent Surf Circle also offered not really secure email, but their prime, their main two products, their main two offerings are end-to-end secure, TNO, PIE, you know, all the good acronyms. That stuff they did absolutely right because it's not, you know, because they were able to build a standalone, truly secure solution. This is the problem with email is it's got a huge compatibility problem because it's we're we're trying to add security to an uh, to a fundamentally unsecure protocol. They were able to and anyone can. I mean, it's not difficult to do security right, but. But so I wanted to make sure we don't. I, I didn't miscommunicate that Silent Circle themselves are gone. It's only their not really secure email solution, and they were never really happy with it either. They did it because people wanted it, and they said, "Well, we really can't. We, we can't." And they and people said, "Yeah, well, do what you can." And so, do what you can is gone, and only the point to the endpoint to endpoint, you know, correctly done solution is still up. And and they're not they're in no danger at all. Notice these guys shut this down preemptively. They haven't needed to shut down the others because they absolutely know that doesn't matter if the NSA comes knocking. They're that's the way if if you design the system correctly, it doesn't matter. And and they did. I should I mean yeah. they had they had less to lose than Mr. Lava did. I mean they their main business was not this. It was Correct. Encrypted email or uh, I am yes. and, and uh, phone yes. calls. His was entirely yeah. that. And they also said, unless they've said something since, that they had not received a government subpoena yet. They were doing this preemptively. Correctly. That's absolutely and, right. And I it's, might point out it's excellent marketing without much yes. cost because with they, or this without. Wasn't, much of a business to begin with. <laughs> now, I will also point out, Leo, as far as we know, Ladar. He's out of had, business. He had no Navy SEALs. No, and, and, and Ladar, uh, and I have, and respect Ladar. Uh, yes. Because he, he, this wasn't a big business. He said he was making something like fifty to 100000 a year. But it was his livelihood for 10 years. Yeah. And he's basically uh, quitting the job and saying, I can't, I'm not, I can't do this job properly thanks to the U.S. government. So I'm not going to do it at all, and he's now going to have to find a job. So that's a significant uh, thing to do, and I and props to him. And I at first was like, well, wait a minute, I just paid you for ten years, and you know. Then I said, well, you know, that's cool. In fact, he has raised what was it, ninety thousand dollars for his uh, defense yeah. fund, and needs more. Yeah, I'm and sure. they they also they also said, you know, well, you know, you could do this somewhere else, as in a different country. And he says, well. <laughs> I live in Texas. I like Texas. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to move. Real respect to him. I'm. I'm not yeah. sure about the the Silent Circle thing. The, their marketing has been, always been a little weird. It does seem a little self serving to say, "Hey, nobody's asked us," but just in case we're going to shut this down, it, it's not a primary part of their business at all, right? Nope. So, nope. I mean, you know, uh, but the real message to everybody is that, that store and forward email is not. Didn't Google just say? Don't expect privacy if you use Gmail. They just said that. Yeah. 
And and, that, and they're being the honest because there isn't. It isn't private. The other the other point that I will be making when we are discussing about uh, discussing email encryption is that even then, you are encrypting what's in the envelope. There is no way to encrypt the envelope itself. Right. If you can't see the address, it's not going to get delivered. Correct. <laughs> Which says that there will metadata always be there. metadata yeah. leakage. Yeah. That's why BitMessage is very interesting. So don't any of our listeners think I'm not aware of BitMessage. Oh, okay. Bit, BitMessage does not leak metadata. It's a peer-to-peer network where you can send things to each other. It is absolutely secure. And hmm. and there's no there's no metadata leakage. Now I almost considered aborting the encrypted email discussion for that for this reason because BitMessage is interesting. It it looks like it looks very solid, but I don't think that's practical either. I think we need to talk about the standards because there are. I mean, basically, what PGP is and what SMIME is is a is a standard for encrypting email and it's certainly useful to understand it and have that as a tool in your tool in your toolbox but but never fail to remember that it's just you know you're the fact that you're sending encrypted email will always be known there's no way to hide that but with bitmessage everybody gets everything it uses the it uses the bitcoin blockchain technology so you basically you're receiving the entire community's send sendings and your local client in the privacy of your own computer extracts that which is meant for you so nobody has any way of monitoring this it's very clever so we will of course be talking about that as well you know, I, I don't have, have anything to hide. <laughs> but I use PGP encryption. Uh, I understand. I'm, I'm not sure how far I want to go. I mean, so they get the metadata. In my case, it doesn't be a big deal. Yeah, it's more exactly. a statement. Yeah, and, more a statement. and I could certainly... I can certainly see, for example, between uh, you know corporations and their law firms, corporations and their subcontractors. It's very, very you you could easily run across a situation where you need and to send documents and files as email attachments right. encrypted to other people, not because you're planning anything nefarious, but because right. it's your company's it's private it's business. privileged uh, communications. Yeah, None and, and as I said, my my favorite example. Of you know that th- that comes on this notion of of you know people saying well why do you care about encryption if you have nothing to hide is the webcam in the bathroom it's you know some somebody sent something uh, a, a a tweet I saw that I that I appreciated he said you know what I you know what what I do uh, in, in my email is boring and mundane and I said yes that's much like most people in the bathroom but still. Who needs to see it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned two. I mentioned last week that there had been a mention on the on ABC's this week with George Stephanopoulos Sunday show that I had not had a chance by then to track down, and that was this: the news that in 2011, there that the FISA court itself had ruled that what it was being asked to do was unlawful and unconstitutional and that that report had been suppressed. Um, turns out... Yeah, this pissed me that off. Was, 
That was on. Yes, I remember it did. This was this was October third of twenty eleven, and David Corn uh, reporting for Mother Jones on June eleventh. So just a couple months ago, in the wake of the Snowden revelations, he tracked this down. Um, his reporting said. In the midst of revelations that the government has conducted extensive top-secret surveillance operations to collect domestic phone records and Internet communications, the Justice Department was due to file a court motion Friday, that is, so just recently, in its effort to keep secret an 86-page court opinion, this is the FISA court opinion, that determined that the government had vote had violated the spirit of federal surveillance laws and engaged in unconstitutional spying. Uh. So this is the Justice Department filing a court motion to keep this this 86-page court opinion secret. So David continues this important case all the more relevant in the wake of this week's disclosures. Oh, so this was just as this was happening. Was triggered after Senator Ron Wyden, Oregon. God bless him. A a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee started crying foul in 2011 about U.S. government snooping. As a member of the Intelligence Committee, he had learned about domestic surveillance activity affecting American citizens that he believed was improper. He... And Senator Mark Udall of Colorado, another Intelligence Committee member, raised only vague warnings about this data collection because they could not reveal the details of the classified program that concerned them. But in July of 2012, Wyden was able to get the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to declassify two statements that he wanted to issue publicly. They were, one, on at least one occasion, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court held that some collection carried out pursuant to Section 702 minimization procedures used by the government was unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. And second, quote, I believe that the government's implementation of Section 702 of FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, has sometimes circumvented the spirit of the law. And on at least one occasion, the FISA court has reached this same conclusion. So at least that he was able to declassify last summer. And that's different from and prior to this 86-page court opinion, which apparently justice is now trying to keep from from having been made public. So anyway, that's the the details on what we heard uh, two Sundays ago. I just wanted to. I really to... don't understand why the government feels like this needs to be kept secret. This doesn't need to be kept <sighs> secret. And and frankly, in this case, secrecy is being used to hide incompetence, uh, malfeasance. There's no reason to keep this secret. You're not. This doesn't protect us against terrorists yes. to keep this secret. Yes, it's like them classifying the number, the act, the integer number of plots that have been foiled. They said, "Oh, that's classified." What? Because it's two, or it's, or because it's two hundred. Embarrassing, I mean, it's, probably. It's ridic- probably is. Yes, unfortunately. 
But yeah, uh, you're right. You know, I can, I understand that there's some things you have to keep secret because you have to protect the means and methods so that the terrorists can't use uh, counter uh, methods. That's understandable and fine. That's not what this is. Well, and you know, there's an old there's an old joke, Leo, in business. Never ask your attorney if you can do something. Right, because they'll say no. They, yeah, they say no. Right. Well, I mean, that's the safe answer. Yeah. No, it's a bunch of can't it's, do that. a bunch of attorneys. You yeah. Never ask your attorney. Well, no, but my point is. Why not just stamp everything with top secret? Why, you know, I mean, the point is, if you have the ability to declare things top secret and you've got a big stamp. Might as well. Why not? Why not? Yeah. What's the I'll danger? I'll tell you why not, because we live in a republic where it is important that the people who are governed have the right to weigh in on what it's we're doing. Because it's, it's in our, our name. It's in we're our name. It. We're, yes. we're more than paying for it. They're representing us. You know, and, and I have to point out, at least we can still talk about this freely and openly without yeah. consequence. Nobody's hauling you or me off to jail. We are not in a gulag situation. But nevertheless, this, the amount of secrecy that is being employed by the, our, our elected representatives and worse, unelected bureaucrats is not acceptable. And I applaud Ron Wyden for doing what he can. Yeah, but we've got to go a lot farther here. This is not well, okay. Well, I mean, the good news is it's been opened, and a lot of people are now looking at this very closely. And many people were surprised. This was a rude awakening, not just to the public, but to our lawmakers. Yeah, Pre President Obama said, uh, "Well, I wasn't going to do this right so fast. <laughs> I was going to do it." Sounds like a six-year-old. No, really, I was going to do this. Yeah. Uh, that was an unimpressive. That was an unimpressive press conference. Well, there were things to be gained from it. For instance, he acknowledged we have an unprecedented ability to to, to uh, collect this information. That's a real acknowledgement. That's because saying, of the growth. Because of the growth of the growth of technology yeah. has now created this facility. That's really, in a way, going farther than we've gone before. To admit we can do it. Um, and he said, you know, he, they're going to try. Unfortunately, it's General Clapper that's choosing the members of the commission. Oh. <laughs> the last guy you'd want to do this since he lied to Congress last spring. James Clapper. Yep, um, March. But at least they're going to appoint a commission and one hopes there'll be some work done in this direction. Um, it's very well, disappointing. Bottom line is we know. And we may have known or worried. I mean, it's it's funny. One of the questions, I think it was that same question where someone said, you know, Steve, how did you know? It's like, I didn't really know. I just knew that the idea, I was worried about, you know, bad guys, not our government. And that's where, you know, TNO and PIE came from. I wasn't worried about our government. And now it's really worrisome. So... A brief break in the action, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. But I want to uh, mention uh, a brand new uh, sponsor and a tool I've been using and recommending for well over a year, Lookout. It's a mobile security company that gives away protection on Android and iOS over 40 million customers. It's more, you know, Lookout, you know, now Google scans, but Lookout has been doing scanning of downloads for me uh, since practically I started using Android. If you are using a phone or a tablet with uh, information on it you want to protect, Lookout is a must-have. It's the next generation of, uh, of protection for connected computing. Forty million people use it all around the world. It's, it, they've stopped over 10 million mobile threats to date. 
So, uh, and I really trust them. I think it is all you really need on an Android uh, device or an iOS device. They use a dynamic threat analysis modeling system to map and identify threats in real time. So they're always updating it. When they scan an app, I know that it is safe to date, you know. Uh, they push out the security protection over the air to devices seamlessly. You don't see it. It's not, oh, I need an update for Lookout. It's it's handled for you. You also get some other benefits. So Lookout for Android, iOS, and Amazon Kindle Fire does have automatic malware, adware, and spyware protection. But they also have Find My Device, which is great. Uh, Signal Flare. Now, some of this is free. Some of this is part of their premium pro- uh, package. With Signal Flare, you can automatically save your device's last known location even if your battery gets low or the thing dies, it says this is where it was bef- right before it went out of, out of business, which is awesome. It also nice. offers data backup and restore. You can manage all your devices at the website, lookout.com. You can see where it is. I do not, u- and I use a lot of Android phones. I do not use an Android phone without putting Lookout on it. Free security solutions. Android, iOS, and the Amazon Kindle Fire. Lookout worries about security so you don't have to. Here's our deal. I mean, there's no there's no discount on a free download, but do do go to lookout.com slash security now to learn more. I'm really happy to get these guys on. I have been recommending this literally, uh, I think, for two years now. Lookout. Yeah. You should check it out. Lookout.com slash security now. Now, on <laughs> with another question. Uh, a little mistake uh, surfaced in Android's. Random number generator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, now, you know, this is not the first time random number generators have been blamed. Oh, and our listeners who have been following the podcast, any of you who've managed to survive eight years, um, how many times have we talked about this? I mean, remember, this is why I spent all that time on the the, the so-called ultra-high entropy pseudo-random number generator. Remember that Netscape's first SSL implementation uh, uh, SSL 1.0, it was immediately in trouble because it was generating bad random numbers. Crypto absolutely needs randomness. It, it absolutely does. Any anytime you have a communication, you are generating, you are you are encrypting that communication with a random using symmetric encryption and a random key, then you're often using, you're either keeping that key secret or you are encrypting the key, the hopefully random key with asymmetric encryption because you can't afford asymmetric encryption too slow to to encrypt the whole thing. So you absolutely have to have good random numbers and you absolutely never want to use the same one again. Because if nothing else, bad guys could be c- capturing all the ones you've generated and just trying them. That's better than trying them all. Capture the ones that they, you've already used. Maybe you'll use it again. Well, guess what? Android does. It actually generates identical, not just weak, not just poor, not just not all 256 bits are random, but all of them are, ra- are the same. None of the bits are random. So it turns out that a weakness was discovered quite a while ago, back on back in Christmas of 2012. On December 25th, Nils uh, Schneider discovered a problem which affected some implementations of Bitcoin. 
And it's not exactly clear how this took eight months to sort of sift out and finally get attention. But on the Bitcoin.org site, they blogged on the 11th. So three days ago, quote, we recently learned that a component of Android responsible for generating secure random numbers contains critical weaknesses. Okay, now that's like saying, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't have a good analogy prepared, but that's ridiculous. It's actually generating duplicate random numbers. Okay, contains critical weaknesses. Certainly that's true, at least, uh, that render all Android wallets generated to date vulnerable to theft. And I'm going to explain exactly how vulnerable in a second. But they say, because the problem lies with Android itself, this problem will affect you if you have a wallet generated by any Android app. That's the sad in, thing. Any. Yes. None of them do it right. And in, well, because they're all using they're all on the, the Android, routine. give me a random number, please, right. Right. function. And Al instead, Although that was a mistake, just, clearly. It just gave them the same one. Yeah. Uh, an incomplete list, an incomplete list would be Bitcoin wallet, blockchain.info wallet, Bitcoin spinner, and mycelium wallet. Apps where you don't control the private keys at all are not affected. That is where you provided a private key from somewhere else rather than it being something that the wallet generated. For example, exchange front ends like the Coinbase or Mt. Gox apps are not impacted by this issue because the private keys are not generated on your Android phone. Now, I'm using, I mean, we use Bitcoin wallets on Windows and Mac, which use their, I don't know what routines yes. they use. And the good news are is those, those okay? are so well vetted that if, well, early, early Windows had some random number generator problems, but Microsoft understood that and fixed it. So, and Mac... I don't think ever had any problems because they came from Unix and the Unix guys have figured this out a long time ago. So Nils explains, what's the problem? Bitcoin uses elliptic curve DSA, digital signature algorithm. Elliptic curve DSA, ECDSA, requires a random number for each signature. If this random number is ever used twice with the same private key, that private key can be recovered. So all it takes is mistake of ever using the same random number twice. Um, he says in his blog where he explains this, this transaction was generated by a hardware Bitcoin wallet using a pseudo-random number generator that was returning the same, and he has in quotes, random number every time. It just, it was, it couldn't have been written into the code. Here, this is a lot of random bits, just only ask for it once. No, uh, it can't be the case. Um, so what Nils did was he examined the, the Bitcoin blockchain and he discovered 
a few vulnerable Bitcoin addresses after some research, because we know that the blockchain has a has an, an anonymity problem. It's possible to de-anonymize in some instances. After some research, he says he was able to contact the owner of those vulnerable addresses. And he said, he allowed me to spend the funds. So back last Christmas, Nils knew of this problem, analyzed the blockchain, found the weak, found a weak wallet, wow. and with if tracked down the user and with that owner's permission, took the money from his wallet. Wow. So <laughs> Wow. That cool. But you know, you know, I installed a Bitcoin wallet on Android when I first set up Bitcoin. And we have about seven. Thank you to everybody anonymously who's donated Bitcoin to a Twit. We have a Bitcoin donation uh, QR code and number on the front page. And uh, we've got about seven Bitcoins, which is what, 750 bucks, something like that. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and I did set up a Bitcoin wallet on Android. But fortunately, it crashed. It forced closed so often that I just said, well, this isn't working. And I erased it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. I never got it tied into my account. Yeah, yeah well, that was a clue. That was a good, you know, so okay. It is possible. Now you want to update Android to make sure that this problem is fixed. So verify that you've got a version oh, where it is. So they have fixed and, it in later versions. You can rotate the keys then. And in fact, this this blog posting goes on to talk about spe specific implementations. And you can just, you can regenerate keys and then you'll be okay again. So, although really, I wouldn't put a lot of money in a mobile platform wallet. You know, maybe have an account there where it's your play money, but if you've got serious Bitcoinage, you don't really you just don't want it on a mobile platform. It's true, you know, all of these platforms are at risk. This podcast covers that constantly, but mobile is really just more at risk. Yeah. So I, I I would be I, I just put you know don't have don't have the keys to all of your all of your coinage on a mobile platform don't I mean, really just just you know move over play money over there okay now this is what's really interesting um, there is there are security experts who now believe based on the statistics they are seeing two hundred and thirty six days remaining. Until XP is no longer updated. <laughs> Hackers are believed to now be saving exp uh, XP exploits for after that curtain drops. Because Microsoft will then no longer patch XP. So what's happened is uh, the cat and mouse game we were talking about, the 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 find a problem the value of an exploit is a function of how long it's able to be used before it be it's discovered and then patched and closed that's you know so there's this game of new vulnerability found you really want to keep a low profile it's profiles like the FBI who apparently has ways of getting spyware into people's machines but it's very rare that they will do something as high profile with that as they did with Tor recently, where they where they basically, you know, 
let something go that was quickly found, but there was a window of about three days during which anybody who got infected probably got a knock on the door from the FBI. Um, normally, you want to keep these things on the QT so that so that they're not widely exploited. So they're used in phishing attacks, limited attacks, rather than huge sprays. So you can see the advantage if there are vulnerabilities in XP. The fact is XP's uh, deployment, I think we're still at 43% was the number I just saw. Isn't that Corporations amazing? Yeah. Do not want to move no. because it's it's expensive. Microsoft just doesn't give away, well, away you know, Windows Seven and XP works. And it works. Yeah. That's I mean, it, that's exactly the point. Why replace something that it works? Works just fine. So, um, so the problem is that come two hundred and thirty six days from now, I've got my little counter over on my Windows on my Win Seven machine, telling me how many days left of XP. Um, Microsoft won't fix these anymore. And so so they're, the bad guys are now building up a stockpile because at that point, I mean, and Microsoft really doesn't go back and fix So they're, they're not, they'll have to be new flaws, not, I mean, they fixed everything to date. They're, yes, they are. Well, so they it'll be new, newly they, discovered flaws. Yes, they fix what they know. Yeah. And so, and and you could again, you can see Microsoft saying, "Well, that'll get them off of XP." Yeah. If you know, it gets and keeps reminding bad. people. Yeah. It is too bad. Yeah. But unfortunately, it there, it, it, it's not safe. Yeah. Um, I wanted to quickly mention uh, GRC's cookie forensics page. Many people responded. Uh, too many for me to talk about in the Q and A. Who did? Who didn't? Who never knew about my little cookie forensics? And many of them thought they well. They were surprised by what their browsers were doing. One person posted in the news groups, so I saw that. He wrote. He said, "I deleted cookies using IE10. So he says on IE10, the the gear icon, safety, delete browsing history, and then checked you know delete cookies and restarted IE10." With first-party cookies accepted and third-party cookies blocked, the check cookie page flags problems only for third-party session and third-party persistent cookies of type icon, embed, and object. Check cookie color codes these all blue as browser leakage bug. And I responded to that posting. I said, wow, that's still there? Amazing. And I said, I recall that it was due to IE that I added those tests. It's impossible, it turns out, to keep Internet Explorer from transacting third-party cookies if they're added to those non-page items, which is easily done. And I finished just by saying incredible. So this is IE where you have explicitly turned off third-party cookies and you haven't. Because it turns out, remember that, that many things are fetched by the browser, not just JPEGs and images and JavaScript and so forth, but the, the fave icon is the little thing 
you know, the, the, the little icon in your URL that many sites customize. Google's got the little colorful thing. I, GRC's got the little, the, the little Ruby G icon. Um, you know, you probably have one, Leo. For I do. Twit. It's my Any, head. Yeah, well, okay, Twit is the right. Twit logo, and then the Leoville, it's my head. And it turns out <laughs> that since the browser is querying that, you can respond to that query for a fave icon with a cookie, and IE will start sending that cookie back. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> and the embed, the embed tag, and the object tag, all three of those you cannot shut down wow. no matter what you do. And we discovered this years ago when I did the cookie forensics. And I think I saw it somewhere, so I thought of everything possible that I could test cookies on. And then that's why there's like eight different bub little bubbles in the, in the uh, cookie forensics page. Wow. Anyway, once again, if I've, if I've convinced people they ought to go check – I created a shortcut because I still don't have this linked on GRC's main menu, bit.ly slash check cookie, all lowercase, C-H-E-C-K-C-O-O-K-I-E. And our browsers are broken. I mean, the, even today. And uh, my plan was to, uh, to use these to force the vendors of browsers to clean up their acts, and I just never got around to it. Mm -hmm. So, Okay, now, Leo... You've got a 15-second YouTube video. This just surfaced while I was pulling things together. I have not had a chance to test it scientifically. People are skeptical. It's just wacky, but it's just too fun not to share. And that's what this podcast is for. Here we go. Is it supposed to look like that? Yeah, in the beginning, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> the best way to test it is with a meter. Uh, let me, let me rewind so we can get yes. the uh, audio here. Everybody has batteries in many different kinds of devices, and sometimes it's useful to know if a battery is good or bad. Of course, the best way to test it is with a meter, but not everybody has a meter, and they don't always have one handy. We're going to show you a simple test in seconds to determine if a battery is good or bad. Here are great, two batteries. Great Baltimore the Energizer here, by the way. is good. Alkaline batteries are rated for 1.5 volts. This one is brand new. It's showing 1.65. That's excellent. The Duracell is showing 1.2, and as soon as it gets any load on it, it goes less than that. Believe me, it's beat. Without a meter, how could we tell the difference? With a simple bounce test, a good battery will not bounce, and it will end with a thud and frequently stand up. A bad battery will take several bounces and usually fall over. Huh. <laughs> it works for huh. all kinds of alkaline batteries, That's AAA, really interesting. AA, C, or D. And we don't know exactly why it works, but it probably has to do with a change of density of the material. In any case, it always works, and it works like a charm. That is a great Good hack. Luck testing your batteries. <laughs> oh, wow. Is it? That fantastic. That's B A G A Baja Rider One Thousand. If you want to watch the video yourself, uh, Baja Rider One Thousand on YouTube with yeah, a great Baltimore um, Balmer accent there. Nice Mid Atlantic accent. That's really interesting. It, okay, so now several people re sent back to me because I tweeted this. So if anyone yeah. wants to find it, you can also check S at SGGRC's my Twitter stream, and you'll see the link. 
And I go, what? You know, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, blah, blah, so forth. Um, they said, wait a minute. He, he's got two different brands of battery. Now, that's true. So you would, if you were to do this scientifically, you'd get a couple fresh of each, drain you know, one of each, and then do bounce tests. Although someone named Jesse Madonna sent back, he said, Steve, have you tried it? I have access to a multimeter, and this bouncing test works. Wow. So anyway, if it's true, fabulous hack. And, and remember, the way you remember it is you want to, you know, the battery that bounces, you bounce out of your Bounce the control. battery that bounces. Bounce, bounce the battery that bounces. So, wow. Wow. That is really interesting. Oh, I love it. So, um, Elysium. You saw it. Disappointed. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of people yeah. were. It's it, and, and when I tweeted that, uh, which I did uh, yesterday or no, on Monday, uh, many people said, did you like District 9? Because we all know that Elysium was made by the same guy. Neil Blomkamp, yeah. Loved District 9. As did I. Oh, my God. It District 9 was so fun and new and fresh and original and also in some ways ridiculously over the top, like with the power of the alien guns. It was, it was fantastic. Elysium had none of that. It had a, a ridiculous cartoon character bad guy, Kruger. I liked that him. Just, he was really oh, bad. Yeah. It's more oh. of an action film than District 9 was. Yeah, okay, well, so you're welcome to like it. I was very disappointed. I will tell uh, you, uh, my I ratings I gave on NSFW last night, I thought an A for uh, uh, District 9 and a B, B plus for Elysium. Not as yeah. good as, yeah. but not horrible. Now, I saw it in the third row of an IMAX theater. <laughs> so it was a big film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did want to mention that my one of my favorite movies of the summer just came out on disc. And that's Olympus Has Fallen. Um, really? You like that? Yeah. It may have been the first one that Jenny and I saw at the beginning of the summer movie season. That was the one about just the White your, House uh, being yes. invaded or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, standard, straight up action flick. I thought it was fun. And I, when, I, when, I, when I staggered from the theater, I immediately tweeted that I was still breathless after 10 minutes. I mean, yeah. I, was, I thought it was great. And I do want to mention, finally, that... Uh, I have discovered Breaking Bad. Well, it's about time. I know. Last I know. season, dude. There was so much noise about the start of season six. Yeah. And I, I, and my the, the the gal that used to cut my hair was talking about it five years ago. She said, "Oh, Steve, are you watching Breaking Bad?" And so she induced me to like get the first season. And I think I watched the first two episodes. And he was wandering around in the in his underwear in the desert, and I in his RV, and I thought, no. <laughs> Okay, I don't think this is for me, but oh my goodness! And I'm, it's not, you know, it's, so it's my sort of my background when there's nothing else to watch. And actually, we're sort of in a dry spell at the moment. So before, you know, the the good stuff is over. Homeland's and we coming to, back, you know. Oh, and, uh, good, good, yeah, good. Yeah. So there are a few things I do like the network. I know that you're not a fan of that, so but, but I do like that. And I'm, you know, as I said, I'm struggling to make myself keep watching. You mean Dex newsroom? Just, I'm sorry. Yes, newsroom. Okay. You, you, you're, um, so, you, it does harken back a little bit to network the, the, the movie yeah, yeah. where I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. 
So uh, anyway, Breaking Bad. I just wanted to mention that. Yep. Okay. I'm uh, finally up to how speed far, on. How far? You watched all five uh, previous no, seasons? No, 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 no. I think I'm I'm somewhere in the middle of like season three. Oh. He's now struggling with his wife, who is dude. Found it out. gets wilder and wilder and wilder. <laughs> it's just. It's just. I finally understand that nothing. Apparently, nothing really big is going to happen. It's just the story of these two. Oh, a few sort big, of. A few big things might happen. Okay. Stay oh, tuned. Anyway, I'm, I'm really Stay having tuned. fun. I really, I really. Oh, and 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 one thing that happened was that that I had me thinking of this whole NSA nonsense is I wanted I was very curious to know about fulminate of mercury because right. I sort of heard, I've heard about it. Contact I was, explosive. I was afraid to Google it. Yeah, you're because, right. But you can, and you know, there's good recipes online. We used to use it in college uh, because it's it's a kind of non-destructive. By the way. Uh, there is an article I just read on the science of Breaking Bad and th- the amount of fulminate of mercury that he got out of, what was it? I can't even remember what he made it out of. was unrealistic. The amount he had in his hand, unrealistic. And it would have gone off in his pants long before he got to use it. So it is a, it's a contact explosive, which when wet does not explode, but as soon as it's dry, will explode on contact. So we used to make it in college and paint it on the yeah. floor and That's then, exactly you know, ring I, a yeah. loud bell. And when the, my roommate got up he and put his feet on the floor, he'd go, pow, 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 pow. And he'd dance yep. all the way out of the room. Great fun. Yeah. Great fun. remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy to make. With I think sta- ammonia is involved. Standard you, you, household and chemicals. And the ammonia dissolves and it dries. And Yeah, I don't there. recommend, by the way, in any oh. form or fashion. I did not make it. Uh, it was one of my roommates. I just watched the results. <clears throat> Those chemistry majors are fun to have around. They're fun to have around. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what Mythbusters did or did not do. Apparently, they tried it. It didn't work. But you know what? Uh, it's real. And oh, it definitely works. You don't want to carry it in your pants. We had, we were we were playing with it at Berkeley, Leo. It did, yeah. All right. So uh, so Burke, did you try this experiment? And he bounced the batteries and. And you can tell whether they're good or bad based on the bouncing. Now you have to do it on a hard surface, right? I'll do it on the I'll do it on the uh, clipboard. Oh, cool! So we have some indici- initial anecdotal evidence. Well, I'm not very good at this. Lower. lower. Okay, that's got to be bad because I I could not get that to stand up. Just like that high, right? It's the bounce that counts. That one's good, right? Didn't stay standing up, but. I don't know. If no, it's not, it doesn't have to stand up. It's just the bounce. It's this, this bounced a lot, right? So it's how much it bounces, right? That's kind of more heavy. I bet you could weigh these. You think? I don't give up. It's silly. Okay. On with the show. We don't have time for this. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you've got that PNG file. I do Leo, d- indeed. Uh, our in the le- font the I haven't who, seen in many moons. The people who are looking at video are seeing a screen that many testers of the Spinrite research are seeing. Uh, this is uh, where we are at the moment. Uh, we just discovered yesterday that I think four people on or four machines out of maybe more than a hundred um, in one particular point in the, in the code have interrupts disabled where they never should. So I finally figured that out and we solved a problem that had been dogging us. Um, that screen that you're looking at is where I am in sort of starting from first principles of a machine and figuring out 
what's on the PCI bus, what's the BIOS showing, which what controllers do we have that we're that we're able to talk to directly because Spinrite will be directly interacting with the hardware at a level much lower at the lowest possible level for the first time. Um, we've had some very hopeful results, by the way, with MacBook Air and, and Mac Minis uh, because the older ones, at least, are running in the non-AHCI mode that Spinrite, the initial version of Spinrite 6.1, is being developed to operate with. So it's going to be screamingly fast. Uh, people have been successfully booting Spinrite on their Mac. I'm sorry, build, booting the test code because uh, Spinrite still doesn't run, of course, because of, of the keyboard problem. The older Macs that have optical disks, they're able to, were able to boot uh, not with USB because Mac or Apple didn't put... Uh, USB BIOS support in those, but they've got optical disks, so you can burn a disk and then boot Spinrite that way. The ones without optical disks do have USB BIOS support, and we are booting all of, you know, FreeDOS, the GRC version of FreeDOS 1.1 on USB sticks. Every, like Everybody's doing it now who is working in, in, in our test group, so that problem's been, been solved at that level. I'll be turning my attention to that uh, as the next thing we do. But the the next piece of work, which I'll start after the podcast, since everything to date, we we just finished with the, the 10th release of Spin Test. Um, and everybody, we now know what everybody's got. We've, we're detecting everybody's hard drives. No, no machines are hanging and uh, we're moving forward. So uh, anyway, it's uh, coming along beautifully. I love that. I love it when a plan yeah. comes together. All right, we do have questions. We're also running out of time. I should mention Bruce Schneier is joining joining us on the Twig, and he only has an hour, so we're going to get through as many questions as we can in the time left. But let me quickly mention yeah. our friends at Pro XPN. Uh, we were talking about privacy online, as we do every week for the last few months, and uh, it's very apropos because Pro XPN is a open VPN provider. What is VPN? A virtual private network. It means that you can. Uh, use your device, and I and I say device intentionally. You'll see why in a moment. But you know, computer, let's say, uh, at an open Wi-Fi access spot at an airport at a hotel, without worrying about security. Your traffic will go from your computer in an encrypted tunnel all the way to Pro XPN's servers. It does have to merge out onto the public net, otherwise it wouldn't work. Of course, same issue with email. But you're encrypting it for the first mile, as it were, making it very hard to spy on you unless they know where it's going to come out. Uh, that's how VPN works. ProXPN is an excellent implementation of uh, OpenVPN. Steve has vetted it, gives it a thumbs up. Uh, it is also uh, very affordable. Now, you could try it for free, but if you decide you want the premium account, we've got a special deal for you. You can use our offer code SN20, all one word, and you'll get 20% off, not for the first month of ProXPN, not for the first year, but forever. Forever. So I'll give you an example. Uh, $9.95 a month, $74.95 a year with the yearly plan. But if you use the 20% off code, it's going to be less than 5 bucks a month on the yearly plan for the rest of your life. You can cancel any time within the first seven days for a full refund. So there is a free uh, trial of the Pro version as well. Visit ProXPN.com. There's other benefits. You know, not only are you protecting yourself against spying, you're protecting yourself against your Internet service provider at home. 
You're protecting yourself against the six strikes rule. And because they have server locations all over the world, including London, Singapore, Amsterdam, as well as New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, and Seattle, you can emerge from the ProXPN servers in any of those locations, eliminating geographic restrictions in many cases. It's a 2048-bit key, a 512-bit tunnel. They do support PPTP. We don't recommend it unless you have you can't use OpenVPN, but there are mo- many mobile devices which can't, so that at least you have something better than nothing, PPTP, for mobile. Um, and a very nice, a very nice setup. You don't need special software, but they do have software for Windows and Mac that gives you advanced control. You can select the programs and ports you want to use anonymously routing through ProXPN's servers. Works with iOS, Android. Oh, and, and and get this. There's a new Pro XPN app for Android. It's in the Google Play Store. And the beauty of this is you can now use OpenVPN on Android using this app. That is great. No more PPTP. OpenVPN. You'll find it on the Play Store. Uh, look for the Pro XPN app. Uh, I just, this is a really great solution. I want you to visit the site. Don't get confused. We're talking VPN on XPN, okay? So it's Pro X, 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 Pro X. Don't go to ProXPN.com. And the other thing you should remember is SN20 to get 20% off. We do have, we just started uh, an advertiser's page at twit.tv, so you can get the link there as well if you can't remember it or you want to send it along to somebody else. ProXPN.com, SN20, 20% off for the life of your account. Steve, I have questions. Yes, let's skip the first one because I've already referred to that um, throughout the show, essentially. And we've got 10 minutes before Bruce is going to be on the line. And that still gives us an hour and a half podcast. So we'll get going here. We'll get going. Uh, Number two from Darren Mills, Albuquerque, New Mexico, home of Breaking Bad. He says he finally gets why Steve was spooked by the spooks. Insert regular but deeply sincere podcast and spin right praise here. That's what he says with little brackets. When the news broke of LavaBit's decision to throw in the towel and completely shut down after 10 years, my first thought was of your upsetting decision several years ago to suspend work on CryptoLink because you said you saw the handwriting on the wall. I was and have continued to be upset that we weren't going to get a Gibsonian VPN solution because I knew it would be the best thing ever created and blow everything else away. But now I get why you were spooked by the spooks. You recently said you might create CryptoLink anyway, not as a commercial product, but as freeware, if you had the chance. I guess you still want it, and I know I still want it. I always will. So, please, get what you need to get done on SpinRight. Then I sincerely hope you will again think seriously about giving the world CryptoLink. We need it more than ever. I'd pay a lot to have it, even though I know maybe that's not why you would be doing it. So, I only, I saw this, and that triggered many similar comments that I've seen in in Twitter and in the mailbag saying, okay, Steve, now I get it. Um, And, you know, CryptoLink would have been TNO. It will be if I ever get around to creating it. So so there isn't the concern that I could be forced to be complicit in spying. My worry still is that the other shoe hasn't dropped and that – we might be seeing a a regime where anyone selling an encryption product is forced to add a backdoor. That I will never do. But if it's not being sold, if it's freeware, then I don't think there's any such way of being compelled. So would you would uh, you do it in open source as well? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's the only way I agree. Sure, there's no back door. Yeah, and I would just do it always knowing that it's going to be free, that it's not going to be another commercial. You know, like GR, I was thinking of it. This will be the next thing I do after Spinrite. It's like, eh, I'm, you know, I'm getting old. I'll just do CryptoLink. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it free. I'm getting old. You know, you give away so much stuff. Uh, I would never demand more free stuff from you. But if you want to do it, I think it would be very valuable. Yeah, it, it, it was going to be so much. I did so much planning and wow. early work on it, and I got very excited because yeah. it was just going to be so simple to use. Yeah. So. Oh, well. We'll see how, we'll we'll see see. how it goes. We'll see. Dave Redekop, London, Ontario, Canada, wonders about GRC and TLS and SMTP. And if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love this show. Steve, your show has become so important in IT. I'm setting aside time weekly to listen L-I-V-E. I know this is what Leo wants, and it's working. Quick question, why do you not support SMTP TLS encrypted SMTP email on your own server, EOL? And you know that, that David uh, was part of the core team, it probably still is, with our very early uh, Security Now sponsor, the... The I knew I knew on, that name, Astaro. Nerds on or nerds, nerds on site. No, nerds on site up in Canada. I, I yeah. knew I knew that name, David. Yeah. Nice to see you again. So um, that's great. GRC, absolutely. So so what David is saying is that we're not supporting TLS in SMTP, meaning that our email server does not support encrypted connections to other email servers. And he's right, and I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, I'm using the product called HMail Server, which is extremely good. When I went to choose a mail server, I did a lot of looking around because that was just this this holiday season, you know, that I built the brand new uh, Server 2008 machines and moved everything and fixed all of the problems and so forth. And so I had a, and I scrapped the old Ipswich. Uh, I iMail server uh, and got this one, but it does not support TLS and SMTP. I hope someday they do. When they do, I will definitely upgrade. We do, however, support SSL connections for us. So, for example, all GRC employees connect over SSL to that server. So, if I'm sending something to Sue. It is never in the clear. Or if Greg and I are exchanging things, or Greg and Sue, or vice versa. So for for our own email, where it never leaves that server, we're 100% encrypted. And many, it turns out, many SMTP servers offer SSL connections on alternative ports. The whole idea with... with um, this negotiated encryption is you establish a non-encrypted connection over port 25. Then if the servers both agree, they bring up an encryption tunnel over the existing connection. But for example, SMTP defines port 465 for SSL. Um, and, uh, and 995 for, for POP over SSL. So so there are alternative ports where you can connect to to your mail servers using SSL for for your for encryption there. But you know the problem is 
even if we did support start TLS, um, the other end would have to support it. We know that that's rare. Again, I would like to support it if we could, but uh, and, and we will as soon as we can. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to uh, Will Ferrell in Canada, not the Wolf, Will Ferrell, yes. but right. also uh, Tyler in Humble, Texas. Both of them raise uh, an issue that people keep raising with me, and I want you to address this. We're t- we've yes. talked about Mailvelope, which is a Gmail extension for using uh, PGP key signing uh, and yes. encryption. Uh, and both of them point to uh, Hack 5 episodes. They've done two of them in which they say uh, that uh, it's uh, insecure. Um, how Mailvelope stores your private key in plain text in its plug-in directory. Um, since that episode, it's been patched four times. So, uh, this, is, uh, this is Tyler in Humble, Texas writing. So uh, one hopes it's safer now. The first link gives a brief intro, blah, blah, blah. He's pointing at the Hack 5. Uh, shows on revision three. Long time listener, first time writer. So, what do you think? You, you've, I presume, looked at those yes. shows now. Um, I I chose this because it allows me to make the point that you still absolutely have to secure the endpoint. Right. So, yes, endpoint to endpoint security means that from the me the moment it leaves. It is secure. It is secure in transit. It's, it's secure if it's being stored any number of times. It's secure if the NSA gets a copy of it. And then it finally gets you know sent on to its destination. Only when it gets there is it decrypted. But it is decrypted at that end. And it is not encrypted before it's encrypted at the sending end. The point is the endpoints must remain secure. That's why earlier I was saying I would not have Bitcoin, my, all my Bitcoinage on a mobile platform Bitcoin wallet because the mobile platforms are still immature from a security standpoint. And they just have a great, a very high level of exposure to potential threats just based on the history of, of you know, the problems that we've seen them having. So, so we'll we'll end the podcast by just by well, we don't have by, to end it we don't have to end it we got a few more minutes I want to go okay. a little longer I okay. want I do want to say though this is the issue of somebody has physical access to your computer you've got a problem uh, I store in fact my private keys on my computer where if you had access to it you could export it and take it home with you but the private key is further secured by a passphrase yes it is absolutely dumb. That something that's all about security, like Mailvelope, would ever have not been storing those those private keys encrypted but, 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 in its but, in its own directory that no, it has Steve, control of. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you got to my computer, you could open my keychain and export an ASCII version of my private key. Oh, you could also true. get it from my Dropbox. Please feel free to hack my Dropbox. It's secured by my my hand with a long, very random passphrase. The, of course, you want to keep the private key secure, but if somebody has access to your computer, it matters not well, whether Mailvelope is storing it encrypted or not encrypted. If you're using a keychain, it can be exported. Um, a good solution, which uh, which we discuss somewhere in here, <laughs> is using the uh, LastPass secure storage as opposed to Dropbox. Because 
you do have to provide encryption for your stuff if it's going to be in Dropbox because we know that Dropbox's encryption is not TNO. I just ex- Whereas- I just exported my secret key as ASCII in literally three seconds. So if somebody had access to my computer, they could just open the keychain, export it out, yep, and put it on a USB key. I don't worry yep. about it because you have a good passphrase. So I think that this I don't understand. I think this is BS. This is another one of those. If somebody well, has physical my, access to your key computer, you're f- screwed. No, because you there's no reason not to encrypt the its private directory if you have to log into the plugin in order to use it. You have to authenticate to the plugin. So assuming that you could okay, but log my, out but, but of I'm the, just saying GPG keychain access is an app you can run and export my key. Is that broken? Because that's what it does. So does PGP, by the way. You can export keys. The we're, point we're, is... Oh, I see the problem. We're talking about different things, Leo. Mailvelope maintains its own store, which is not part of the Mac keychain. No, I, and, I, I understand. See, the Mac, the, and I, the Mac... No, but I'm not talking about the Mac... No, no Mac keychain is protecting PGP. This is an app that runs normally. <laughs> it does not require a login. You have to get into my computer. Of course, you I have a... Mailvelope does not require a login. No, this is G- this is GPG GNU Privacy Guard. Okay, that's same why we're thing with PGP. About, you like can mail. always ex- export an ASCII private key, which can then be put mailed to somebody or saved. You can always do that. I, if you use PGP, this is this is something you can always do. You've always been able to do this, just like Mailvelope does it. So does PGP. So does GNU Privacy Guard. So if you have physical access to my computer, but that key is worthless without my passphrase. You understand that, right? It cannot unencrypt mail without my passphrase. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh (laughs) In other words, Mailvelope's doing it like every other PGP tool does it. If you have install PGP, you get a keychain program, which has all your keychains private and public. All your keys private and public. I can go to my secret key. Export it as an ASCII, uh, you know, ASCII file. It's the same thing you're getting from Mailvelope, but it's still no good because you need my passphrase to continue to unlock. Is that not true? Mailvelope has a private directory of keys, and there's no reason for it not to encrypt that. Okay, when it's the same. It's this Chrome story again. It, it precisely no other PGP program does that, and it's the same with Mailvelope. You can have my private key without my passphrase. You, it's no good to you. Every time I use Mailvelope, I have to enter my passphrase. Right, right, right. So, admittedly, you should secure your private key, and you have on your personal computer. This is why you have to have a login, and that it's just not sitting in the open for people to use. Right. But GPG and PGP both do the same thing. And as, I don't as think part they're of, insecure. Uh, as part of the protocol. Well. No, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Leo. As, as part of the protocol, in order to use the private key. That's right. At the time, you right. need to use the passphrase. So yes. and you, don't want to, you don't want to spread your private keys around, but neither is it, a, is it exactly. the end of the world if it gets loose. And it is kind of general practice with GPG tools that you can export your private key in an armored ASCII file or text file. And, right. um, and that's because the I – mean, and you don't want to give it to people, <laughs> obviously. 
But if somebody has access to your machine and you're using any PGP solution, they can do it then, easily. Right. And but that's what it, MailVelope it does, does, right? It doesn't give them anything because they still have to have exactly. access to your usage key. Exactly. Yep. So that's okay. Yeah, we were, we, we were talking about the same thing. Same just, thing. It's much like the Chrome <laughs> story. And I agree that Chrome probably should password protect the password store just to make it. And if MailVelope wanted to go the extra mile and password or encrypt their store, that would be a good thing. But it all is presupposing that someone has physical access to your computer. And yes, as and Google pointed which is out, where we, where we began is... You're screwed. If you, if that's if you don't have that. Now, right. I did want to mention, finally... That that the most recent the most recent decision we have seen from the um, appellate courts, and I think this was the Eleventh Circuit Court. I, I'm not sure one of the appellate courts, and we talked about it at the time. But and this is somewhere where the law is still really gray, and that is, can an individual be legally compelled to produce their password? Right. And the, and the good news is the most recent decision is no, that the, the, the courts have decided, they've ruled that that is tantamount to something you know. It is in your brain. Right. And you cannot be compelled to testify against yourself. That's Fifth Amendment protection. So, so knowing the password, my, my point is that Ultimately, if you want to protect your machine, you use TrueCrypt and and you you may have a password that is where part of it is written down, but then you also know part of it. The point is, if it's got to be something that requires testimony from from you and there is the, the law cannot compel you currently uh, to to produce that. Right. And, you know, though, I'm sorry, I'm not heated with you, by the way. I'm a little mad at Hack 5 because I get this a lot. The envelope's not secure. And at first right. I no. said, don't use it. And then I looked into it, and it's BS, and Darren knows better than this. This is, it, this is link bait. Right. So, so, so your point is, and we were saying the same thing, but just using different terms, is that because you have to have a password in order to use a private key, the private keys themselves don't reveal Right. You know, anything. They're an extra piece. It's like two-factor authentication. And so right. you should absolutely do everything you can to secure your private key. Um, and you should have a long and – this, and this is important to people who want to use PGP. You should have a very long, good passphrase. Pa passphrase in addition to your, your private key. So do the best you can to secure your private key, understanding that somebody has physical access to your machine – they can, with every PGP tool I've ever used, easily export the secret key and save it and yep. ma or mail it to themselves. But that's not enough. That's not sufficient. So I don't think MailVelope deserves any uh, criticism. They're doing what every other PGP tool is doing. They're not storing it on their servers, are they? No. No, 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 no. 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 Yeah. I just I think that it's misrepresenting the issue. Maybe Darren doesn't understand it, but the, the, to to make a big deal out of this is, and unfortunately, this has caused a lot of people not to use Mailvelope. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate, as you say, because it provides very nice integration. Yes, and I've looked into it. As far as I can tell, it's not doing anything unusual. Uh, well, we will be going in. We will Let's be looking that. at it closely in yeah. the future. Let's do yes. that. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, there's nothing. There's nothing I want more than to be able to give this 
you know, the, the security the now blessing yeah. the way we did yeah. for LastPass. And so um, so let's just be clear, leave it at this. Mailvelope does what every other uh, privacy guard, GNU privacy guard or PGP tool that I've ever seen does. It is normal. It is not insecure. But it is a real security flaw to let somebody have unfettered access to your private computer. Be- because, <laughs> yes, because the nature of the PGP protocol, which Phil worked out all those years ago, right. always... Also, always protected your private keys with right. a passphrase. Right. So you need, and it's good, you know. And I don't certainly give people my private key, but I do store no. it on Dropbox. And there's a reason that way. By the way, uh, I can use uh, PGP tools on the iPad, for instance, because I need my I need to import my secret key into ah. new installations of PGP. So the way that you do that is you store your public and private key on a centralized server that you can access, draw, aka Dropbox. Well, or LastPass. LastPass is also LastPass running on. Yeah. Yeah. And and for people who aren't using Dropbox, LastPass, LastPass gives is, you. is more complicated because the the tool I've been using, which is I think called APG. A, I can't remember. The, oh, pulls it directly from Dropbox? It, it has get Dropbox it from Dropbox. Support. But it, see, this is the uh, problem with the iPad. There's no file system that you have access right. to. So right. having it, yes, it's great to have it in uh, LastPass. And certainly in other installations when I'm on a desktop, that's fine. But unfortunately, right. if you want to put PGP on an iPad, you need to use Dropbox. Uh, or we're going to have fun in the next. There. We're going to have fun in the next few weeks, Leo. <laughs> I have a lot of ex- you know. I was looking back, and the, my oldest PGP key is from 1997. I've been doing this for a while. You know, I misspoke when I said that S-MIME predated PGP. Turns out it's the other way around. PG yeah. Phil was so early on this. He yeah. he he reacted very badly to some some congressional law that was being made as i understand it yeah Back he, in, he's come very close I, to prison many it, times yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah, uh, said, I, I, i'm not i didn't mean to be heated i was uh and i'm not heated i'm i just want to f- fervently have people understand be clear this is be not clear. a problem this is normal behavior yep it's not a not a weakness Steve, I we are out of time. Schneier, Bruce Schneier is coming up in just a moment. I'm very excited hey. about that to join us on uh, This Week in Google. We do cool. uh, security now. We have questions left over if you want to do more uh, next week or the week after. Yep. We'll pick them up in two weeks because we're going to okay. get on with PGP protocol next week. Excited about that. Uh, and again, I'll tell people, leoville.com, I have my I store my public key, not my private key. You can download it and uh, send me. And a lot of people, every day I get a few emails from people saying, does this work? And uh, that's nice. It's good. We're we're slowly encrypting email bit by bit. Uh, Steve is at grc.com. That's his home, the Gibson Research Corporation. That's where Spinrite is, world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Don't fear that he's working on a new version. He's already told us it'll be a free upgrade for all owners. So buy it now and you'll get the new version automatically. Mo better. Mo better. Uh, he also offers a lot of freebies. I mean, th- th- this is a place to go to just browse you know, the the cookie thing that you do, um, passphrases, grc.com. If you have questions, grc.com slash feedback, SSL encrypted. And uh, you can also find 16 kilobit versions of the show, SSL encrypted, and <laughs> transcriptions by Elaine, SSL encrypted. Uh, grc.com. We have the unencrypted, because I don't think we use SSL on Twit. Uh, the, no. We have the unencrypted uh, audio and video available at twit.tv slash sn, or you can subscribe wherever you get uh, your internet shows, because uh, we're there. We're everywhere. Get it every week. Help start year eight with a bang. Next year is yeah. year eight, or are we completing year eight? 
We're finishing year eight. Next is year nine. Wow. There's only one show yeah. longer uh, lived, and that's Twit itself. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security.